it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's a Wednesday edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and for regular listeners, you know what that means. Coming up in about an hour, Armchair Politics, our weekly political roundtable with uh, two hours of commentary and analysis about uh, headlines in the worlds of politics and current events, featuring our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, and uh, joining them will be uh, an armchair politics alum and uh, law professor uh, J.D. Weingarten. So that's coming up in about an hour. But we're going to start out this morning with a a very interesting conversation with the author of a novel that revolves around the, uh, uh, in in many ways, around the um, trial of Alger Hiss. Uh, The book is called Gods of Deception, and the author is called David Adams Cleveland. And David joins me by phone. Good morning, David, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be with you. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm really fascinated that that you picked Alger Hiss uh, um, as a, as a focal point for this uh, this novel, which is a little bit voluminous, David, by today's standards. Um, why Alger Hiss? What put that on your radar? Well, Alger Hiss was convicted of spying in 1950 it was probably the greatest spy trial by sure by a mile uh, in american history he was convicted of spying uh handing top secret state department papers to his uh soviet uh, military intelligence handler whitaker chambers in the late 1930s Looking back on it, that seemed like small potatoes, no big deal uh, in terms of the damage that was done uh, in terms of handling over those uh, top-secret State Department papers in the 1930s. But when I started looking into the Alger Hiss case uh, some 70 years later, uh, I found out that things had changed radically Uh, over that 70 years. For the first 50 years after the trial, the country was divided equally between those who thought Hiss was innocent and those who thought that he was guilty. Half the country believed he might have been set up by the FBI, by Nixon, uh, who knows. uh, Well, that 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 case made Nixon famous. 
It did. It did indeed. Uh, Nixon was the um, was the first congressman, first politician at the time who believed Whitaker Chambers, uh, that is his, his accuser, uh, who was his actually was his Soviet spy handler, who believed him when they started investigating um, the possibility that there were communists in the U.S. government. So yes, Nixon's reputation was made. He was a friend of Whitaker Chambers. He was a supporter of Whitaker Chambers. And he believed almost from the get-go that Hiss was indeed guilty. We now know that Hiss was more than just guilty of passing those uh, top-secret State Department documents in the 1930s. Uh, in the 1990s, we got new information uh, some from Soviet archives that were opened up during the uh, period of Boris Yeltsin's presidency of Russia. This is after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And also there was a release of decrypted uh, Soviet cable traffic that the uh, American Army intelligence had gathered during the war. And these sources not only pointed to Algerhis' guilt um, for passing those papers in the 1930s, it also drew a, a wider picture of uh, Hiss's guilt. We now know that, in fact, Alger Hiss was an agent of influence. That is, he sat at the right hand of uh, Roosevelt at the Yalta Conference that was instrumental in the giveaway of most of Eastern Europe to Stalin and the Soviet Union, along with the return of... Uh, two million Soviet refugees to their almost certain death um, at Stalin's hands uh, and the Gulag. And we know that now, that every morning at uh, Yalta, Alger Hiss was debriefed by his Soviet handler as to the American and Allied uh, negotiating position. Uh, so it's um, it's a sad tale, to say the least, but we know that Alger Hiss was more than just guilty. He was an agent of influence as well. Well, this is fascinating to me because a few years ago I had um, Joan Brady on the show who wrote the book Alger Hiss Framed, and she tells a very different story. Well, are you familiar? Are you familiar with her book and 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 what she says about it? She got to know Alger his personally. She and her husband dined with him and his wife after he had served his time, and and she's very adamantly uh, opposed to anything that points to his guilt and and blames it all on Nixon that that he was framed basically by Richard Nixon. That's that's the premise of, of her book, and I just wondered if you were familiar with it and how you react to it and how what you found um, stacks up against, uh, you know, her, her claims. I don't know about her claims in particular, um, but I do know that um, the combination of uh, his was uh, convicted in 1950 of, of spying. And Alan Weinstein wrote a very thorough book uh, called Perjury about that trial. And Alan Weinstein uh, had started out uh, as a supporter of his, thinking that uh, 
his uh, investigation into the FBI files and the uh, defense um, tr uh, defense files uh, on the Alger Hiss case, that he would, uh, in fact, uh, prove that Alger Hiss was guilty. Uh, after reading all the documentation around the trial, Alan Weinstein uh, wrote uh, perjury that basically concluded that the trial of Alger Hiss, that the conviction was accurate, uh, that he was in fact guilty of perjury, that is turning over uh, top secret uh, State Department uh, documents to Whitaker Chambers. But since uh, that book by, uh, by Alan Weinstein uh, and the release of the Venona decrypts in the 1990s and access to uh, Soviet intelligence files um, during the Boris Yeltsin period, uh, it's pretty conclusive. Uh, in fact, it's almost absolutely conclusive that Al that um, that Alger Hiss uh, was a spy. And in fact, uh, it went much beyond uh, just spying. As I noted, um, Alger Hiss was really the tip of the iceberg. We now know from the recent history um, that there were over 500 American spies in the U.S. government and related war industries um, during the uh, Second World War and the years immediately afterwards, the late 1930s. And this was on top of, of course, of an American Communist Party that numbered uh, 200,000, which provided much of the infrastructure and the recruiting grounds for these American spies. So I think most historians today um, uh, agree um, that Alger Hiss was indeed a spy. The um, your book, Gods of Deception, David, um, says right out on the cover, it's a novel. It, it, would you categorize this as as historic fiction, or um, how much is how much is is history, and how much is uh, David Cleveland? Well. It's a historical novel in the sense that it, that part of the novel deals with an historical event. That is, um, that is Alger, the, the trial of Alger Hiss and uh, the circumstances around the trial. Um, but it is, in fact, uh, a fiction. It is about uh, three generations of an American family uh, where the patriarch was a defender of Hiss in the uh, 1950 trial, and it's about how this patriarch, that is Edward Dimmick, uh, comes to term, comes to terms with the impact of the uh, his trial on American history and his own family, three generations of the family. So the history is all 99.5% accurate. Uh, in terms of the facts of the case, um, but I use that historical background um, as a uh, jumping-off point for uh, a family saga, which explores how um, the political controversies, ideological controversies, um, uh, affected the lives of three generations of this American family, and the um, the case is explored through the uh, third generation 
who is a uh, uh, an astrophysicist, George the uh, grandson's uh, the grandson of Edward Dimmock, and he's a Princeton astrophysicist, and he's dealing um, with the uh, with the ramifications of the Algiers case, and that is uh, a case that uh, divided the country for for fifty years, um, as you uh, as you mentioned. Uh, because it's a very different case, very different world. If Alger Hiss was guilty, the world looks like one way. If he was innocent, the world looks a very different way. So you have uh, Edward Dimmick's grandson, uh, an astrophysicist who's familiar with parallel universes, exploring this theme of uh, a world where Alger Hiss is innocent and one where he's guilty. Well, it's it's fascinating, and Judge Dimmick that you talk about the patriarch of this uh, of this family. You said he defended um, Alger Hiss, but not just in the sense that that he supported his innocence. He was his attorney. That's correct. He was one of the attorneys in the trial, and part of the. Uh fascination, I think, for people looking back on the Alger Hiss trial, and as I say, uh, all the recent history uh, now points conclusively um, to Alger Hiss's um, guilt in the trial, and and it goes much beyond uh, what the trial had uncovered. We now know that he was an agent of influence uh, working on Stalin's behalf, um, we now know, for instance, as part of the uh, the new historical research that has come out, that on the way back from the Yalta conference, Alger Hiss and a small part of the Yalta delegation stopped in Moscow for one day, the, uh, the one day that Alger Hiss in his entire life uh, was actually in the Soviet Union. And there, in a secret ceremony, he was taken aside by the uh, head of Soviet intelligence and given the Order of the Red Star um, for his uh, help, for his heroic help uh, for the Soviet Union. Um, So, yes, we know that Alger Hiss was guilty, and one of the fascinating parts about the trial that I go into in the book is one wonders about Alger Hiss's defense team uh, who were defending him how much they really believed in his innocence and how much they were just doing the job of good defense attorneys um, at the time. So and, this is a question that I explore. And and how much they really knew. Um, David, I have to take a short break here, but this is a fascinating topic, and I would love to talk to you some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure, I'd be delighted. Great. My guest is David Adams Cleveland. He is a... Uh, historian and uh, novelist. We're talking about his book that uh, revolves around the Alger Hiss prosecution for being a spy in 1950. Um, And uh, we'll talk more about that after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new book um, that revolves around the Alger Hiss trial of 1950 and the impact it had on at least one of his uh, legal defense team and and his family. Uh, The book is called Gods of Deception. It is a novel by David Adams Cleveland, who joins me by phone. Um, David, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the fact that this uh, this judge in the book um, was one of Alger Hiss's attorneys um, in his uh, perjury trial in 1950, um, and and he was. You were you were pointing out that um, you had questions about what the lawyers knew, what they believed, and and how they went about defending him. And did they, in fact, know more than what they let on? And, and did they get him a pretty good deal by, by uh, having him convicted of perjury and not some other more serious uh, espionage charges? Well... It's clear from the records of the trial, and those are now in the public domain of the defense files, all of which Alan uh, Weinstein uh, investigated. Uh, the perjury conviction uh, was what it was because the statutes of limitations had run out from the crime itself, which was uh. the late 1930s. So uh, the government... Uh, that prosecuted uh, Alger Hiss for spying. Uh, they caught him uh, uh, lying about the uh, the time that he passed uh, the documents and when he'd actually known his uh, Soviet uh, spy handler, Whitaker Chambers. So it was the lie that, that actually led to the perjury conviction. He was not uh, convicted per se for spying um, because of the statute of limitations, but he was uh, convicted of lying about uh, passing the uh, the time in which he passed those top secret uh, papers to his uh, his handler uh, Whitaker Chambers. In your book, um, you indicate that that this particular trial um, had a huge effect on America, but in particular, it had a big effect on uh, Judge Edward Dimock, who at the time that your book starts is, is 95 years old, and um, the, he was one of the defense team. But you talk about how it impacted his, uh, his family. Um, how did that, that case impact his family? It seems like, um, albeit a, a big case, a well-known case, um, it seems like it would have passed fairly quickly into history. Well, in terms of the family per se, the uh, uh, the judge and his wife um, were at odds as to whether Alger Hiss was guilty or not, uh, and this comes out uh, in the novel. And the uh, judge has three daughters. Uh, sorry, he has t- he has two daughters, and. Uh, and a son, and uh, the son um, ends up uh, in Korea 
after uh, the, uh, the, the Alger Hiss trial and uh, dies in Korea. He's a Marine uh, fighting in Korea. So you have to, the book deals with a historical period where uh, Stalin exploded uh, the first atomic bomb for the uh, Soviet Union. The Korean War broke out, uh, which changed the, uh, the nature of uh, the pattern of American history at the time. So all of these events uh, figure uh, in, the, in the novel. Um, and uh, they figure in the novel for the for the this particular American family, but also for the American people. Just to give you one instance of the degree of uh, Soviet uh, penetration of the U.S. government, Alger Hiss, as I mentioned, was just the tip of the iceberg. There were five other five hundred other Soviet agents. Uh, this includes agents in the Treasury Department and the White House itself. And one of these agents, Harry Dexter White, uh, in the Treasury Department, uh, was one of uh, Stalin's agents. And in the spring of 1941, uh, Harry Dexter White was called by his Soviet ha handler, Viktor Pavlov, and asked to have lunch uh, at the Old Abbott's Grill, which was right across the street from the Treasury, and Harry Dexter White agreed. And uh, Viktor Pavlov, uh, his, uh, his Soviet uh, handler, said, I will arrive, I'll have a copy of the New Yorker in my hand. That's how you can recognize me. And they met for lunch. They took a table, and Viktor Pavlov pushed a piece of paper across the table to Harry Dexter White and said, I want you to read this. I want you to put it to memory. And on that piece of paper was a Soviet intelligence plan concocted by the KGB called Operation Snow. That is in Snow White, Harry Dexter White. It was a plan that called for Harry Dexter White and his Confederates in Treasury, State Department, the White House, to ratchet up uh, American sanctions uh, against the Japanese. Now, this was in the spring of 1941 uh, when uh, the U.S. was still uh, a neutral country vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the Second World War in Europe, Germany, and Japan. And this paper called for the, um, the U.S. to ratchet up sanctions on oil, uh, rubber, steel, metal, all warm materials, um, for Japan. And Japan was engaged, of course, in a conflict uh, in China at this time, and was also engaged in a mini-war with the Soviet Union in Siberia and Mongolia, Manchuria. And um, so this paper was passed across the table, and Harry Dexter White wanted to take it and put it in his pocket, and Pavlov says, no, 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 you put it to memory and hand me back the paper. And Harry Dexter White went on at that point in the spring of 1941, in policy paper after policy paper, uh, to ratchet up uh, sanctions on Japan. This at the very time when the U.S. Navy was pleading with the Roosevelt administration not to provoke the Japanese because the, uh, the, the Navy brass said we're in no position to fight a two-front war against Germany and Japan. So keep things on a, on a low simmer with the Japanese. 
But in fact, the Roosevelt administration, um, pushed by Harry Dexter White and the Treasury Department, they ratcheted up the pressure on uh, the Japanese. And the Japanese military made the decision, instead of going north into Asia against the Soviet Union, against China, for resources, they went south. And that provoked the attack on Pearl, Sar Pearl Harbor and the Japanese war in the, in the Pacific uh, going into the Philippines and Indonesia. So, in fact, a Soviet agent of influence in the form of Harry Dexter White in the Treasury Department uh, went a long way towards provoking um, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So, history matters. When you talk about Alger Hiss being the tip of the iceberg, um, did exploration of that iceberg lead to uh, what we now know as um, the uh, McCarthy Army hearings? The, uh, <clears throat> the conviction of Alger Hiss in 1950 uh, was the first major conviction um, of a Soviet spy uh, in the U.S. And it certainly alerted uh, the nation, uh, the executive department, uh, uh, Truman's White House, to the reality that there had been Soviet agents. The reality is, is that uh, McCarthy had no idea about the extent of the Soviet penetration or the number of spies. Most of the people that he singled out as spies were not, in fact, spies. He didn't know the reality behind it, but he had a sense um, that there had been a penetration of the, of the U.S. government, but he in no way understood the, uh, the amount, the extent of the spying that went on. Um, most of the Soviet spies uh, from the 30s and 40s and early 50s um, had no, were no longer spying by the time that McCarthy began, began his hearings. So McCarthy had an idea about the extent of the Soviet spying, but he, in fact, had no idea of the true extent of it. Where do the Rosenbergs fit into all this when you say Alger Hiss was the first Soviet spy tried? Well, we know we now know that um, the uh, the Rosenbergs were in fact um, Soviet spies. Again, the new information that we've gotten from the Venona decrypts and from access to uh, Soviet intelligence files, we know for a fact that the Rosenbergs. Uh, and their, uh, their, the agents that they ran out of Los Alamos were, in fact, uh, guilty of, uh, of, of spying for, the, for Soviet uh, in, intelligence. Um, and that was just, um, again, they were, they were just part of that uh, 500 uh, Soviet agents that we now know were, were in fact, um, in uh, the U.S. government and uh, related industries. Um, as another example of, of, a, uh, of a Soviet spy, William Wiseman uh, was a Soviet spy in Army intelligence. 
Um, this was sort of the precursor to uh, the CIA. And Army intelligence, by the end of the uh, Second World War, had broken the Soviet military codes. That is, the codes that the Soviet military used for uh, their movement of men and supplies. And we were able at that point to read what was going on in the Soviet Union in terms of their allocation of military resources. So that was a certain comfort level in terms of knowing what they were doing. William Wiseman was a spy in Army intelligence, and he passed on to his Soviet handler. Um, in uh, dead drop after dead drop, he would pass on the information to his Soviet handler, uh, alerting the Soviets that we had, in fact, uh, broken their uh, military codes. And when the Soviets found out about this, they immediately uh, changed their codes. And our insight into the Soviet military went dark. This was at the precise moment when Stalin was moving men and military supplies to the North Koreans uh, for the buildup towards the invasion of South Korea. Uh, so because of what William Weissman had done, we were in the dark about Stalin's intentions and the movement of uh, men, uh, men and uh, military supplies to the North Koreans. Uh, and if we had been able to gauge that uh, supply movement, we would have warned Stalin against provoking a war in Korea and probably would have prevented him um, from starting uh, that war in Korea. So this is another example of a Soviet spy um, uh, being responsible for the uh, Korean War where 50,000 Americans died. Again, history matters. You know, that raises a, a, a question. Aside from the, the fascination that uh, uh, Judge Dimock would have had, and, and his family for that matter, would have had in this case, why is it important for the rest of us to go back and 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 research and and relitigate an event, um, a, a trial that happened almost seventy five years ago? Well, the uh, the Alger Hiss trial and the uh, conviction of Alger Hiss for perjury, and we now know that that perjury went uh, far beyond his the conviction for passing papers in the 30s uh, to Alger Hiss being an, uh, an agent of influence. It tells us a lot about the Soviet Union, about the KGB, about the impact of spying, about the impact of the big lie, about the impact of uh, propaganda. It tells us a lot about uh, the modus operandi of Putin today in the war in Ukraine. Uh, we must remember that uh, Putin was, in fact, an ex-KGB agent, and uh, all his top leadership circle are ex-KGB agents. And the whole way that the uh, Ukraine war was justified uh, by Putin and his leadership circle is right out of the KGB playbook. That is, using misinformation, using uh, false flags, uh, using the big lie, uh, using propaganda. And the KGB always worked on the principle that if their lies didn't work, 
that they would back it up with brutal force. And that's exactly what Putin did. Um, he tried to subvert the Ukraine um, by the methods of the KGB. And when that failed, he resorted to brutal force. So some things haven't changed. Uh, we may not yeah, be back and... Some some things have changed uh, a little bit, David. You mentioned, uh, you talk about in the book uh, some deaths, uh, people falling off of bridges, and that that was a preferred uh, method of execution by the Soviet Union in those days. Um, it, it seems they've changed that to uh, using poisons and chemicals now. Well... It goes beyond. It goes beyond that. When I did my research for the from the for the book, um, there were all kinds of mysterious deaths and disappearances around the Alger his trial. This was actually remarked upon at the time in newspapers. Uh, Drew Pearson uh, drew his uh, readers' attention to this. Uh, Lawrence Duggan, who was a State Department colleague of Alger Hiss, fell. 16 stories from his office on 45th Street in New York to his death. A very strange event. No one could understand it. Uh, they, they said it was suicide, but there's no way it could have been uh, suicide. William Remington, another spy, was murdered in Lewisburg Prison when Alger Hiss was in prison there as well uh, by a bunch of uh, inmates bludgeoned to death. Very strange. Lawrence Laughlin Curry a fellow uh, Soviet spy in the White House who was supposed to testify in the Alger Hiss trial, uh, disappeared south of the border to Colombia, never came back. Uh, he was not able to, uh, to testify. Marvin Smith, an attorney in the Justice Department, fell six stories on an inter interior staircase in the Justice Department to his death who was, um, again, supposed to testify in the Alger Hiss trial. Um, it goes on and on. Was uh, there anybody left to testify, David, <laughs> by the time the trial happened? Well, there were a few, uh, there were a few people left uh, who could directly testify that they had known that Alger Hiss was a spy. Whitaker Chambers, uh, of course, being the most famous Whitaker Chambers, was his spy handler who had turned uh, to the government uh, in 1939 with the uh, Soviet Nazi pact when he uh, gave up on his spying and turned against Stalin and uh, turned in uh, his agents, including Alger Hiss and his brother Donald, who was also a spy in the State Department. So yes, Alger Hiss um, testified to great effect in the trial and went on later to write, of course, the famous book Witness, where he uh, narrates his long history with Alger Hiss and Priscilla Hiss uh, and their days working together uh, as Soviet agents. Well, this is a fascinating uh, book, David. It's uh, Gods of Deception, a novel by David Adams Cleveland, and it... Um, it it really is as much about the Dimock family as it is about the uh, Alger Hiss trial, isn't it? It is very much so. Um, the uh, the Alger Hiss uh, conviction um, blows down the wind uh, of the Alger Hiss trial. It impacted the the Edward Dimock and his wife, uh, all of his children. 
uh, and even his grandchildren, especially uh, his grandson, uh, George Altman. Uh, yeah, he recruited him. He was a, a Princeton uh, physicist, and um, the the elder, uh, 95-year-old Judge uh, Edward Dimmock, it was his grandson, he recruited him to do what? He recruited him to help with his write his uh, write his memoirs, ah. and uh, George Altman goes into uh, his grandfather's old study. He's he's uh, it's on the second floor of the home in the Catskills, and uh, the grandfather hasn't been in that um, study that office for some five years because he can't make it up the stairs anymore, and he starts poking around in the memoir and the judge's files, and he finds um, an old corkboard with some sketches on the corkboard, and he finds that the sketches are of uh, Alger and Priscilla Hiss, along with a bunch of uh, Alger Hiss's fellow spies uh, in the U.S. government. Uh, There's William Remington, Laughlin Curry, Harry Dexter White, who I already mentioned. And he realizes that these sketches are all a piece. They've been done in one sitting. And they're sketches that were done by his grandfather on his mother's side of the family, uh, who was a famous uh, artist and a sketch artist uh, and a courtroom artist during the Alger Hiss trial. And so George recognizes uh, the hand of his, uh, of his grandfather, the artist, in these sketches and realizes that the ties between Alger Hiss and, uh, and the, uh, the trial and uh, his grandfather Dimmick uh, go way back, and that there's all kinds of strange stuff going on here which he needs to get to the bottom of, which sets the book rolling. Well, this is a fascinating book. It's called Gods of Deception, a novel by David Adams Cleveland, who is my guest today. And, David, we're just about out of time with a minute and a half to go, and I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start, but maybe they might like to know more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Yes, you can find out more about my books. I'm an art historian and a novelist uh, at davidadamscleveland.com. You can see uh, all the books on there. Uh, And in terms of my background, I started off uh, as a journalist. I was with the Voice of America for 10 years, covering the Soviet Union, China, Eastern Europe, uh, during the perestroika Glasnost period, um, so I got my hands in pretty deep, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, at that point. Uh, and since then I have been, uh, doing a lot of, uh, art history, but mostly fiction. I've, uh, this is my, uh, fourth novel, uh, with another novel to come. And you can find out about, uh, those works, of course, on Amazon and uh, your local bookstore. Um, and I hope people will, uh, enjoy what they find well david thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and keep up the good work thank you tom it's been a pleasure take care and with that we'll have more of the tom sumner program 
straight ahead. Don't forget, coming up, Armchair Politics. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip-flip technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from, uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst, and he's in a typical analyst's office. He has an, uh, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? He's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you wanna, you wanna lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so <laughs> don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Oh, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <clears throat> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm -hmm. you, you didn't have to. It, that same one, you're, you're walking down the street and you, you find a half dollar and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. You want to you want to give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben. Let's let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben. Uh, you being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know? 
too bad it, it it isn't something a little more private. You know, you could you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top. You know, <laughs> some something like that. You have ever thought of spinning a top in? Would wouldn't knock you down. Hmm? <laughs> that's that's important to you, is it, Ben? The, hmm? Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, <clears throat> you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. She's got plenty of it. She's up to wearing it, Ben? Now, uh, Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. And, and she chased you down the street yelling, you're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm -hmm. Why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with, it, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> what, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. Ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but um, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <clears throat> we uh, ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday, then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You, you get him, Mary? He ran, ran out already, huh? <laughs> another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 